0: Um, When I started preaching, I was using the um, NIV, and I used that for several years, and uh, and it's a good Bible. uh, But I uh, uh, moved over after several years uh, to the New King James, and I still enjoy that translation, and I've used that for a long time. Uh, But lately, uh, just in my devotional reading, probably over the past year or so, Uh, I've uh, been using the New Living Translation. Um, As you may catch from its heritage, it kind of comes from the same folks who originally did the Living Bible about 30 or more years ago. But that Bible was more of a paraphrase, really, not an actual translation. And so the New Living Translation... um, it takes as, as its goal the idea to try to be a very readable uh, and engaging and understandable type translation, but it is an actual translation rather than just a paraphrase. So uh, I'm enjoying using it right now, and um, uh, that's one of the reasons we've been having uh, some of the Bible verses on the screen because I'm, I'm uh, going from a different translation, but just wanted to mention that to you. So today, uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, and um, it says through verse 40 in the bulletin, but I don't think we're going to go quite that far. We'll, we'll see, but um, through 21 right now. If you would please stand with me and follow along on the screen or in your copy of God's Word as we read Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying that these people are drunk. It isn't true. It's much too early for that. People don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. No, what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams In those days I will pour out my Spirit upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will be turned blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me, Father God? We um, we thank you for your Word and for the power contained in it. Lord, we understand that your written Word is just a—it's a, it's a uh, precious thing, but it is a reminder to us of uh, the Living Word, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit who speaks, moves uh, among us lives within those of us who have called upon his name father we pray that we will take uh, in these words today and that they will make us more like jesus we ask all these things in his name amen please be seated so this day of pentecost had come we saw that uh Jesus had died, but he had rose again. The disciples had been initially confused, a few of them, like Thomas, didn't catch on on the first, uh, the first go-round. But eventually they all kind of came together, and, and they began to understand. Their emotions began to change, and, and Jesus was back with them, and things were looking great. And they're saying, man, maybe this is the time that the kingdom is coming. And Jesus says, I've got to go now. It's time for me to ascend. And they're left a little bit confused. And they say, what's going on? Jesus said, hey, the time of of the the coming of the kingdom or the uh, the final coming, the end of all things, the Father knows when that is. But right now, you've got work to do. Just be sure you wait on that promised gift that you're going to receive. And he ascends into heaven. And so they wait for the promised gift, which is the Holy Spirit who will descend upon believers. They're in in unity, they're in prayer, they're worshiping and praying together. And then the day of Pentecost comes. Now, most of us, we're not Jews, so we don't know what Pentecost means, really. We don't think much about it. I mean, in fact, if most of us, if we said, what's Pentecost, we would... uh, Immediately think of a branch of Christianity, uh, those called Pentecostals, you know, and, and maybe some non denomination, maybe some other folks, and we say, well, they're into that whole Pentecost thing. But again, the Pentecost was a Jewish thing through which God worked for all of mankind, for all Christians. We talked a lot, we've talked a lot uh, recently, some on Sunday morning, but also on Wednesday nights. Those of you who've been on our Wednesday night study about the, the Lord's Supper and, and its roots in the ancient uh, sac- ceremony of the Passover, that celebration uh, of God's people being saved, and how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, how he comes as the perfect lamb. So we, we know a lot about Passover. For the Jewish people, Pentecost uh, was another celebration that came 50 days later after Passover. Uh, It was kind of an agricultural celebration. The Jews would come and they would present the very first sheaf of of wheat, the very first part of the harvest. They would present it to God. And it was an act of faith saying, God, the whole harvest isn't in yet. We don't know if the rest of the harvest will turn out well. But out of faith, we're going to go ahead and give you a portion of the very first bit of the harvest that comes in. And it was also a a prayer. God, we we hope the rest of it comes in as good as this first part has come in. And so that was a, a very important part of the celebration. But it wasn't just that feast or festival. Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, also marked the time that the Jewish people... Having left Egypt. Remember the, uh, the, the Pharaoh and Moses saying, let my people go and all the plagues. When they finally left after that final uh, plague. After that, the death angel came. And they leave and they go through the Red Sea parts and they walk through by faith. Fifty days later, after the first Passover, they arrive. Mount Sinai. They arrive at the foot of the mountain where the law of God would be given. The Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. So 50 days later at Pentecost, they came to a place where God has, says, has said, I rescued you I brought you out of your slavery into a new life. And now I am bringing you into a place where you will understand how I want you to live this new life. You are no longer slaves as you were in the past. You are now my people. You are redeemed. I have bought you. And now this is the way that you are to live in this covenant, this agreement that I have made to you. I will teach you how to live by the giving of the law. On Mount Sinai. We fast forward thousands of years until the Messiah has come. He has given his life on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. And 50 days later, Pentecost comes again. And God pours out his Spirit. The Holy Spirit that men and women have been waiting upon. You see, as Kevin already referenced, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was, could be seen. He was working and active. Even at creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And the Spirit of God would come upon a king or a prophet or a judge. Men and women in different uh, times and places would have the Spirit of God come upon them. And they do, it would do great and mighty things in God's name. But it was a here and a there, every so often an occasional thing. But on this day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, just as the Jewish people had come to Mount Sinai to receive the way that they were to live, the Spirit comes upon Pentecost Day, to inaugurate a new way of living because a new covenant has been given. The New Testament of Jesus' blood has created a new way to relate to God, not through the laws that were given on a mountain, but through a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And on this day of Pentecost, that message is proclaimed. And how are people to live now uh, under this new covenant? Is is it by laws given on Mount Sinai? No, it is not. It is through God's Spirit, which has come and poured out upon God's people. This is a radical change. This is something new that God has given to his people to let them know, I am the same God, but I am doing a new work. Your relationship to me is not tied to these particular little regulations. It's not tied to bringing a lamb or a dove or or even some grain to the altar and to sacrifice those things. Because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. Now you are to come to me. So God pours out his spirit. And this powerful message is overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's not a mild message. It's not something where people can go along quietly and and in dignity and say, yes, now we are turning to a new day. But in power, the Spirit of God comes and the place is shaken and a mighty rushing wind comes in and tongues of fire come over these people. And they began to go out into the crowd and they began to speak to them. You see, there was an enormous crowd of religious pilgrims that were in the city. These were very devoted Jews. Sure, some of them were already from Jerusalem or maybe the surrounding areas like in Judea. But many of them were Jewish exiles who had moved all over the different areas of the Roman Empire. And they got along... By learning how to speak other languages. When I think about how they were, we're, we're kind of dumb. I mean, I, I am. Compared to them, I speak English and not too well, okay? I do my best. But they would have known in that day. Probably Aramaic, which was what the, most of the Jews would have spoken, at least the ones around uh, Jerusalem. And, and a few of them would have gone back. as kind of like learning Latin. They would have learned Hebrew because nobody really spoke it, but they still had the Holy Scriptures in Hebrew. And, and then, of course, uh, When Alexander the Great had conquered the ancient world, he spread Greek everywhere. So most people spoke Greek in the Roman Empire. But now since Rome was in charge, a lot of them were beginning to learn Latin as well. So these people spoke three or four languages and they were used to being not just bilingual, but trilingual or quadlingual or whatever comes after that. But they were used to doing all this and and doing business in a language not their own. And so these men and women of God... Go out after being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak loudly to all of these religious pilgrims, these faithful Jews who have come from all different parts. They were probably the same Jews who were in Jerusalem 50 days prior. And they had heard these things about this one who had stirred up the city, all sorts of things about Jesus. Is he a prophet? Did he really raise someone from the dead? Is he really a devil? Is he a heretic? Who is he? What is he? There were all these different things, emotions, and, and the city had been stirred up. But the last time most of these folks had been in Jerusalem, Jesus had been a done away with on the cross. And they said, well, that's the end of him. But they come back to the city 50 days later to find that all of the hype, all of the stories All of the things about Jesus which they had heard, and they thought there'd be a new name on the scene. There'd be a new trending topic, they figured, in Jerusalem. And yet, the name of Jesus had not gone away. But the name of Jesus was now being proclaimed loudly among all people. And miracle upon miracle, it was not being proclaimed in Aramaic the local dialect of the local Jews that maybe these Jews from far off might or might not have been able to catch on to. It wasn't even being proclaimed in Greek. That language that almost everybody would have known, kind of like the English of our day, the international language. But they were hearing this message. They were hearing these words about Jesus and about the coming of the Spirit. They were, they were hearing them in their own language language, their own particular dialect from, from the village they came from. I mean they were hearing the word y'all. I mean they knew that, that that this was they were like how are these Yankees, how are they saying y'all? How how are these people how are they talking just like me? Something's going on here. We don't get it. And some folks were amazed and said wow this is spectacular and other people Oh, this is nuts (laughs) This can't be from God This is not very orderly This is all kind of crazy And this is all kind of different These people must be drunk So Peter gets up and he says Guys, uh, I promise you It's only nine in the morning There might be some drunk people around here later today But nobody is drunk yet It's nine o'clock in the morning Something powerful is going on, but it is not people under the influence of alcohol. It is under the influence of the Holy Spirit who has come in a powerful way. And he is doing mighty works among all people. And then Peter begins to do what I would think was kind of the strangest or oddest thing. If you are accused of being crazy... If you were accused of being drunk, if you were accused of spouting nonsense, would you all of a sudden begin to quote obscure Old Testament passages about the moon turning red and about all of these God's Spirit pouring out and all these things? We, we might think, wait a minute, Peter. Let's go for a different approach. Let's have a little talk, a, a face-to-face, you know, step-by-step explanation of who we are in defense of who we are. But Peter's plan, guided by the Holy Spirit, I don't really even think it was a plan at this point. There's much room in Scripture for planning, but I believe at this point it was just God's Spirit guiding him. He knew his audience, because these people, his audience, they had been taking the words of God, they had been taking the Old Testament, and they had been searching There had been a sense among them, just as there is a sense today of many people who say, something's not right with this world. I mean, God's got to be coming again, right? He has to be because it's just, these things aren't right. Well, there was a strong sense of that in that day that they had watched for the signs, they had read the scriptures, and they knew that there was a Messiah that was to be coming, and to be pouring out upon them God's power. And Peter says, folks, we're not drunk. We are here to joyfully, exuberantly, proudly proclaim that the promises of God that were written ages ago by our forefathers, that now in your very lifetime, they are being fulfilled. God promised one day, The Messiah is coming, even as far back as the Garden of of Eden. When Adam and Eve failed, our very first forefathers, Adam and Eve, they gave in to sin. And so that old serpent, the devil, had a victory. But God promised that that victory would not be final. It would not be complete because he would send one day, he would send someone who would crush Satan underneath his feet. And on Calvary, on that old rugged cross, Jesus did, in in fact, defeat Satan. He overcame death and hell and the grave. He made a new way for people to come to God Not by having to measure up by their own works, but by depending on God's spirit. But depending on God himself, who had done what they could not do for themselves. And in that humble dependence on him, as they called out, God would do for them what they could not do for themselves. Peter said, the time is here And the time is now. And the very thing that you've been looking and waiting and hoping for all of your lives. If you're so caught up in your tradition, in your ritual, in the patterns and habits of your life. That you can't open your eyes and see what's happening. You're going to miss what you've always been waiting, wishing and hoping for. But it's here right now. And the power of the Holy Spirit is a demonstration of an even stronger power. Stronger than the ability to speak in different tongues. Is the ability of God to change a human heart. To make a man or woman, boy or girl, who doesn't know Him. Who is selfish and sinful to transform them. To becoming a person after God's heart. Peter looked at the crowd, and he said, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that message that was for those Jews in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is a message that still rings true and is still full of power to this very day as we see the signs around us, as we see this world that we don't understand, and we say, how do we get in this mess and all of this craziness going on? Where is our hope for the future? The Bible tells us clearly our hope is in Jesus Christ. Nothing less. It is not in polit- politics. It is not in technology. It is not in business. It is not even in our relationships, as precious as they are. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. We call upon His name, His name alone, for salvation. Many years before Pentecost, in the ultimate act of pride, of hubris, you might call it, of arrogance, the people of the earth in Genesis chapter 11 decided that they didn't really need God. That they could come together on their own and they could through their own might and their own power, these men and women could build themselves a tower to heaven, could do anything they wanted. And so that tower in Babylon, the Tower of Babel, God came down and said, I'm going to show you just how arrogant and ignorant you are. And he confused the languages of the people. They could no longer understand one another. We understand this today with all of the, the racial and ethnic and, and national tensions that are going on in, within our country and within our world. That people from different places, from, from different uh, walks of life, that they don't get along, they don't understand each other, and they find it hard to work together. But on the day of Pentecost, God's miracle was to reverse, at least for a few hours, for a few moments, to show that what was done on Babel, because of the ignorance, arrogance, and pride of humanity, that that disruption that occurred could be undone that people from all walks of life, men and women, boys and girls, young and old, Jews and Gentiles, all of the distinctions you imagine, that those things meant nothing in the light of unity that was experienced in the name of Jesus Christ. And so today, God calls us to call upon that name, I don't just mean for the first time, for those who don't know him. Certainly, if you do not know Christ, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you say, you know, I've heard this religious stuff, but I've never trusted Jesus, certainly today you need to do that. You need to believe that he lived and died and rose again, that he did for you what you could not do for yourself in taking your sins on the cross. But ultimately, I'm talking about Those of us who are believers, who've already called upon Him initially. Peter said, you need to keep on calling upon God. You folks who are religious, you folks who have prayed, you folks who think you know God, you need to keep on keeping on. You need to call on God. Look to Him and listen to Him. So that He might deliver you from these days ahead. That He might walk with you that he might keep you in his hand. Call upon the name of the Lord. And Peter gave an example, and he went on to talk about how those of us who have called upon that name, as we trust in Jesus, we now walk by the Spirit of God. We need to do that. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, you have called us here today to come into this place and to worship you, not as an act of formality or or a ritual only, but from the heart. Lord, your, your word condemned the ancient people whose lips were close to you. That is, they talked a bunch. They talked a good religious game, but you said their hearts were far from you. The prophets condemned them. And oh God, if we are honest, we've all strayed. We've all backslidden. We've all gotten away from you at times. And Lord, we need to come back to you. And we need to call on you. And Father, we need to ask you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit. Father, to help us to repent where we have failed you, where we've gotten away from you. Let us walk in your light. Lord, you have not called us to be polite, religious people. You have called us to be filled by the power of your Holy Spirit. You have called us to go where you have called us to be your witnesses in a world that is desperate. May your light, may your Spirit so shine through us that others would see us and they would have to know what is it, what's different, what is it about you? And we may give them the message of life. Give us that boldness and that courage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.